foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado. If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like. You can go to solaceradio.com to do that, and we'd sure appreciate it. And it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now, back to our program. I don't know if anybody's ever done the math on it, but there's 89 chapters in the Gospels. And, uh, and so uh, if they're gone for 90 days, then in the time that they're gone, we could all read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, uh, and uh, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to challenge everyone to read the Bible a chapter a day. In your bulletin, There's a little read-along-with-us thing, which they started a while back. Uh, Disregard that. We're no longer on that reading program, and it won't be on the bulletin next week. The one that we're going to start today is going to be there. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk about Matthew chapter 1. And tomorrow, you're going to get an email for Matthew chapter 2 from me. And the next day, you're going to get an email for Matthew chapter 3 and then four, and then five. And when we come back here next week, I'm going to teach Matthew chapter eight, which would be seven chapters later. And this is how we're going to, as a congregation, we're going to continue to walk through the Bible together. You say, well, I'm already part of the Havara and reread a whole other thing. Okay, well, what's another chapter? Right? We're not, we're not, we're not the Marines. We're not looking for a few more people. We're looking for, I mean, we are the Marines. We're not looking for a few more people. We're looking for a few good ones or ones that want to go deeper. And, and a chapter a day is not too hard. If you get behind a couple of days, well, it's okay. it doesn't take much to get catch back up. And that's what we're going to do as a congregation. And then we're going to respond to what the Lord does when a community commits itself to read the Word. Because what will happen is, over time, you will transition as a person. And your main reason for coming on a Saturday morning won't be so that you can learn the Bible. Because you'll be learning the Bible every day by a teacher better than me or even better than Rabbi Larry. That is the Ruach HaKodesh, the one with the big T, teacher. The Holy Spirit will be teaching you the word as you commit. And he knows exactly where you are, knows exactly the level that you're at, knows exactly the depth that you could draw out of it so that we could all be reading the same chapter, but they may be speaking to us in different ways. Not different messages, but we're all at different levels. But I'll tell you one thing, man, when you read it, you read the Bible and you round the horn and you get back to the New Testament again, It'll blow your mind when you start reading it again, once you have a knowledge of the scripture. So then what happens then? Why do we show up on a Saturday morning if we all know the Bible and we're all in light pursuit of the Bible? What happens is then you start to transition from consumers of ministry and you start becoming contributors to ministry. And we say, why is a church so ineffective in the world? And you say, well, it's not completely ineffective. There's a lot of ministry being done. It's true. But I don't know that we as laymen are living up to really that calling of like, go ye therefore into Judea and Samaria and to all the other parts of the world. And we say, well, why not? And a lot of it is because we've become highly functional biblical illiterates. So we know what it takes to go to church or to come to the congregation. And we know when to stand and when to raise our hands and when to sing. We know when to give the money. We know all of these things. But the one thing is missing is most of us in this room probably couldn't name the Ten Commandments if I asked them. And I'm not going to ask anybody here today because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. But then ask yourself, how long have I been going to church? Or how long have I been a follower of Messiah? And what you realize is that we can definitely become highly effective and functional within the culture of the Messiah. 
but not have that daily ongoing pursuit of him in his word. So what we want to know is if we gave 90 days of our lives to just reading the word together, what would the Lord show us and how would our lives be different? And if it's not different when Larry gets back, well, then let's just go back to the status quo. But if it is, well, then maybe we're going to pull him aside and say, hey, come on, man, look at what the Lord is doing among us. We're all in this together. And I've just seen it happen so that I feel like I can... Uh, and by the way, it's not like we're doing something and Larry doesn't know what we're doing. We've already discussed it all. Uh, and that's where we're going to go. So you say, well, how am I going to get an email tomorrow if you don't know my email address? Well, that's true. Uh, if you have a pen, take out your pen and write this down. Livingroomstudy.org. Living room. We all have a living room. Livingroomstudy.org. That's a Bible study that I teach, and we use the same method in this Bible study. And, uh, and we've seen it to be highly effective. Eventually, we're going to have our own Shuva sign-up page, but today, I've already talked to my web guy this morning, if you go to livingroomstudy.org, you can sign up for the email list, and we're going to capture all of those which come in the next few days, and we're going to say that those are people from Shuva. And if some guy from Bulgaria just happens upon my website and joins my Bible study within the next few days, well, then he's going to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective, isn't he? All right, so you have a couple of days. I say you get on it now because the right time to do the right thing is when? Right now. So get on it and, uh, and you can sign up right now and we're going to put you into a list. And you're going to get an email from somebody probably called Living Room Study slash Shuva. And you're going to know that this is the right one. If you don't want to be on the living room study list or you don't want to be on this daily email list with us and you've signed up and you're like, ah, this isn't for me, um, I say stick it out. But if you don't want to, there's an unsubscribe. I don't see it. I don't get an email that says, oh, no, Bob Johnson just unsubscribed. You know, you're still going to get a Hanukkah card from me and the congregation. Don't worry about it. But, uh, but I want to challenge you to do this with us and to read along with us. Okay? Okay. Uh, because if you've never read the Bible, it will transform your life. And when a congregation or a group of people reads the Bible together, the Lord just simply does things and he reveals things that he only wants to reveal to people who've committed to read his word and to not just be consumers of it, to be contributors. If you want to sign up, just if you're, hey, listen, I'm a pad and pencil kind of person. Well, back on the resource kiosk, right there where they sell CDs and stuff, uh, there's going to be a pad of paper, and then you can write your name and your email address down there. Um, I, I suggest that you do it online for the simple reason that, uh, that uh, it's just easier for us to not have to manually put it in. And if we get your email wrong, it could be a whole week could go by. Well, that's seven chapters of the Bible could go by before you actually get to us and we get it corrected. So, so I suggest that you do it that way. But listen, if you want to sign up there, you may say, I don't have email. I have two messages for you. Number one, get with the program. This is the 21st century, people. Okay, my grandmother is 96 years old. She has email. She's on Facebook. Okay, bite the bullet, get a computer. They're only $200. But if you're like, nope, I still don't want to. I still don't want to be in the grid, as it were. Well, you, uh, we can figure out a way to pre-print these out and give them to you. But the cost of it, and the, just know that. Come on, man. Matthew chapter 1. If you brought your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you didn't bring your Bible, bring your Bible from now on. Because this is a Bible study. The gospel, just simply meaning the story. Four gospels in what we call the Brit Hadashah, that is the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. David Stern has written... Uh, I think a pretty compelling translation in, in some degrees. Some people have problems or issues with it, which I won't go into today. But what I do like about his translation is the fact that he, he takes all of the names and turns them into Hebrew names. Uh, so his Matthew, I think, is probably something like Matit Yahu, right? His John is Yochanan. 
I think it's funny because especially when you're teaching through the Tanakh or what is commonly known as the Old Testament, it's just funny to me having grown up going to churches where preachers are mispronouncing all of these names, which themselves aren't even the correct names. (laughs) They've sort of transliterated the Hebrew. And what's cool about the Hebrew is that all of those names mean something. So you derive meaning from the name. But when you change the name... Well, then in many ways, while you still can understand the narrative of a story, sometimes you may miss a little something just from understanding the essence of the name of whom the story is about and who are the characters. And so uh, one of the great things about being part of a messianic congregation is the option that we have uh, in order to to go deeper into uh, the meaning, which oftentimes is glossed over. And I think sometimes people forget that this is a Jewish book from Bereshit, from Genesis all the way through the Revelation, written by Jewish men with the primary concern of reaching the Jewish community. As a matter of fact, uh, as a matter of fact, the biggest problem that you have in the New Testament or in the early church, as it were, is what do we do with all these Gentiles? who were coming to faith. That was the big question. That was the big concern back in the day. And uh, now you look at the church at large and you say, it's almost inverted. Where's all the Jewish people? Where did they go? And this community exists in order to reach that Jewish community. A couple of weeks ago, we had a drama and a guy got up here and actually Cheyenne's father got up and he was... He was doing art, you know, he had pastels out and chalk or whatever it was. I'm not an artist, but he's doing art, you know, and at the end of it all, he, he turns it around. And, and every artist knows that you can paint with varied brushes or varied mediums. And, and so, uh, you know, you can take a broad brush and you get one type of a stroke. Or you could take a really fine brush and you could get another kind of stroke, different kind of detail. And so one artist in creating a masterpiece, as it were, may actually use several different styles in order to create definition even within one painting. And what you see is that as the Lord has, all the way through the Tanakh, has used different people from different stages of life. He's used cupbearers, you know. He's used guys who were kings and everyone in between in order to tell his story and to communicate with us. So also, as we move into the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, as we call it, Brit Hadashah means the New Covenant. And as we move into the New Covenant, we start to see that the Lord is doing exactly the same thing as He's always done. He's using different people from different directions. And the Gospels are basically telling the same story, but telling it from different angles, so that we don't just get a linear idea of who was Yeshua and what did he do, but now we have a 3D image, because this guy's coming at Yeshua from this angle, and this guy's coming from that angle, and this angle, and that angle, so then now we can walk around this sort of 3D model, as it were, and the Lord is, is using people as he would pick up a different brush in order to tell Exactly the same story. Which means what? Which means that if you're a billionaire and then you're in this room, I'd like to talk to you. No. If you're a billionaire and you're in this room, or if you're in abject poverty in this room, the Lord still wants to use you. And where you are in life is not a hindrance to the potential of ministry that you could do. But it is exactly as the Lord has you now. So seek the Lord as you are, where you are, Because there is yet a gospel to be written through you. Not that we're going to write new books of the Bible. Don't think I'm going off on some cult idea. No, the Bible is the Bible. But the point is, is that the Lord wants to tell his story, his gospel, through you. Believe it or not. And there are people who are just waiting to listen to the gospel through you. And in many ways, hopefully the next 90 days will go a long way in terms of preparing you in order to give them that message. So here we are, Matthew chapter 1. Starts with a genealogy. You say, hey man, if I was going to start a Bible study, I don't think I'd start with a genealogy. I think I'd start with something like, you know, Yeshua rising from the grave or something dramatic, and then let's get to the boring stuff. 
But I think what we're going to find here is that uh, there's a lot of drama here in between the begats. Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah. Matthew 1 verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Son of David. Son of David, son of Abraham. Romans 4, 9 through 18 talks about this idea of Abraham. Son of David, son of David is easy. He's the shepherd of Israel, come to gather the lost sheep of Israel. And anybody, whether you've been in a messianic community or whether you've been to a church, understands the idea that Yeshua, Jesus, came to who first? To the Jew first. And then to the Gentile. It doesn't mean that he didn't come for the Gentiles, even in his own life. It just meant that the primary idea that he's trying to communicate at the very beginning is this. I'm the son of David. I'm the son of David. Come to gather the lost sheep of Israel. Okay? And so for Jewish people coming to a faith in Yeshua, they have to accept all of the facts which start to lead up to the fact that, you know what, I'm waiting for the Messiah, and if the Messiah was here, the most Jewish thing that I would do would be to believe in the Messiah. I mean, that would be the most Jewish thing that I could do. The real question is, is that, am I really convinced that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah? Because of a myriad of reasons. So, when you read the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, of course, the idea that he's the son of David is going to come up. Okay, And we're going to talk about him a little bit later in Matthew chapter 1, so I'm not really going to concentrate on that too much right now. He's the shepherd of Israel coming to gather the lost sheep. But this concept of son of Abraham is a very interesting idea because Abraham himself was not a Jew as we would think of a Jew today, right? Because Abraham was just a guy from Mesopotamia, okay, modern-day Babylon, as it were, modern-day Iraq, that whole region, that's where this guy came from. And he was just a Mesopotamian like every other Mesopotamian. But he heard the word of the Lord and he believed. Okay? The first word that he heard from him was just very simple. Follow me. Right? Lech lecha, as they say. Come follow me. And so uh, he did. Where are we going, Lord? Oh, we're going to go to a place that I'm going to show you, which is the kind of thing I tell my kids. Hey, get in the car. Where we're going? We'll know when we get there. So you don't know where we're going. No, I know exactly where we're going, but I'm not going to tell you right now. Just trust me. It's going to be awesome. And then when they start to see Disney in the, in the you know what I'm saying, in, 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 off in the horizon, then they start to get excited. And in, and in such a way, there's a guy who is from Ur of the Chaldees. He's a Chaldean. And he hears the word of the Lord. Uh, Romans 4, verses 9 through 18. You can either turn there or you can write it in your Bible. I say you write it in your Bible because it's up here and, and you can go read it later on your own. But he says this, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? There was this idea saying that when the Messiah came, let's just say that he is Yeshua, did he just come for the Jewish people or did he really also come for the Gentiles? So this is the argument. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. That is, that when he believed, Abraham wasn't righteous by God's standard. He might have been righteous compared to other guys. But he wasn't righteous by God's standard. But he was considered righteous by God when he trusted by faith. The faith didn't make him righteous, but faith in God was counted as if he was righteous. Do you understand? Because that's how we're saved. So you got to get the mechanics of that right. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace that we are saved. How? Through faith. And that not of ourselves, but it's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. He said, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised. You understand what he's saying? 
that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of the circumcision to those who were not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not only to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What is he saying? That salvation has always been by grace through faith and not through the circumcision. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. But because the law brings about wrath... For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who were of the law. You know the word that we get for law is actually Torah. Not only for those who are of the Torah. And did you know that Torah, when you break it down, doesn't itself mean law, although it has become synonymous with law. In the same way, Shabbat does not mean rest. It means, what, seven. But it's become synonymous with rest because on the seventh day we rest. And in the same way, Torah does not mean law. Torah means teaching, just so you know. Not only to those who are of the Torah, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of what? Many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. There is a movement going around. Maybe you've seen the bumper stickers that say, what, coexist. And it has a number of symbols which cannot coexist. It's impossible. But then there's a movement which wants to take that a little deeper and say, well, okay, Buddhism and Hindu, we don't understand. But all of the sons of Abraham should be able to coexist. And the three religions which came forth from Abraham, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, they're all sons and daughters of Abraham. Well, they may be by DNA, but salvation is not of DNA, is it? It's not of works either. Salvation is what? So you are sons and daughters of Abraham if you display the faith of Abraham. And based on the authority of Scripture, if Abraham was here today, he would say, the object of my faith was always Messiah. So therefore, you're only a son or a daughter of Abraham if you have the faith of Abraham. Then by grace you were saved because your faith is counted as righteousness. It's not your faith that saves you, it's the object of your faith that saves you. And so there are children of Abraham who believe in Islam cannot coexist with children of Abraham who believe in Judaism or who believe in Yeshua. We can get along. We could hang out at a cocktail party and not kill each other. But at the end of the day, it's not really about coexisting. It's about that personal relationship with God through the Messiah. And that's the whole point of the man in Romans. And what he's trying to say is all you Jewish people that believe that Yeshua is Messiah, that's really great. There's just another thing you have to understand. That when the Gentiles believe by faith, well then by grace they are saved too. And the whole point of the Gospel of Matthew starting with verse number 1 is this. This is the genealogy of Yeshua, Hamashiach, who is the son of David the shepherd of Israel, to gather the lost sheep of Israel, and is the son of of Abraham, the father of all who by faith believe, and it's counted to them as righteousness. What do you have? In the Brit Hadashah, the very first line of the very first gospel is salvation for the Jew and the Gentile. You understand that? We could continue reading, but we'll move on. He says, the book of the genealogy of Yeshua, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. Judah begat Perez by Zerah and Zerah by Tamar. You guys remember who Tamar is? Or Tamar? 
Genesis 38 is the story of Tamar and Judah. We're not going to go into it. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Judah, after they had sold uh, Joseph into slavery, says, you know what? I'm going to like get out of here. I'm going off to my own place. And he takes off and he marries a Canaanite woman. And then they have sons and their sons marry Canaanite women. And one son dies. And so the other son doesn't want to redeem his brother's bride. And so he dies. And now it's Judah's turn in order to redeem this Canaanite girl, and he doesn't want to do it. But he does kind of have a penchant for prostitutes. And so when he's off on a trip one day, she knows where he's going, and so she dresses up like a prostitute, and he sleeps with her. Just so happens he doesn't have any money, and so he gives her his signet, and he gives her his staff, and some articles to identify that are important so that he would come back and get them. When he comes back with the payment, she'd give them back. When the servant goes back to make the payment, what happens? Hey, where's the prostitute that stands on this corner? Uh, they ain't no prostitute that stands on this corner. Okay, this is embarrassing. So he says to his servant, you know what? Let's just keep this on the down low and let's go back home. And then all of a sudden, little Tamar all of a sudden starts to show a baby bump that gets bigger, becomes a baby mound. And they say, that Tamar has been sleeping around. And when they're coming down to lay the law down on her, they said, who was it that slept with you? And she goes, the guy that owns these things. It's the story of Tamar. Did you know that she's in the line of the Messiah? Can you believe it? She is. Do you know what she's also? She's also a daughter of Abraham. She's a Gentile who by faith believed. Didn't say, you know what? Forget you Jewish people. I'm out of here. Nobody wants to sleep with me here. There's tons of Canaanite guys that want. No, she believed and she wants to stay in the family and she wants to do what is right. And therefore she's considered virtuous in the eyes of the Jewish community. Whereas otherwise they would consider her to be what? She's just a Canaanite one. She's just a Gentile. What's she worth? And yet she held him accountable. And from then they had children. Perez begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nashon, Nashon begat Salmon, Salmon begat Boaz by Rahab. Who's Rahab? You remember her in Joshua chapter 2. There's a lot of people these days want to go to genealogy.com, they want to look up their ancestors because we're all hoping we're, you know, kin to somebody like a Rockefeller or something. Nobody wants to look up their genealogy. At least if you find it, nobody wants to report it. And yet the Lord, by his grace, has allowed us to really look at an aerial view of the history of Israel. And it starts off with a Canaanite girl that pretends to be a prostitute. But it gets better from there. Now it moves on to a girl from Jericho who is a prostitute. Remember her story? Joshua chapter 2, she's the one who hid the spies that were coming. But here's what I like about her, her great statement of faith. We all know that your God is the only God. And the men of this town are trembling because they know what he did to the other kings on the other side of the river. And they're afraid that he's going to do it to us. Did you know that the Bible says that the devil believes? The Bible says the devil believes and trembles. And in the same way, all the men of Jericho believed and yet what? And trembled. But the only one who believed and humbled herself before the Lord was a little prostitute named Rahab. And Solomon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz's mother was a what? Was a prostitute. And not only that, she was a Gentile prostitute. Maybe then you understand why he may have had a tender heart towards a little Moabite girl that showed up one day. Because my mom has shown me by her example that the Lord God of Abraham can redeem Gentiles and can bring about good things. It's not in the narrative. You don't, you're not going to read that specifically, but at least I think we can read into it with a level of confidence. Otherwise, it's a miraculous coincidence. Rahab. <clears throat> Solomon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. We know who Ruth was, right? She's the Moabite girl. So, so far, what do we have? We have three Gentile girls in the line of Messiah. 
I don't know if you've been in the Middle East lately. There's, they don't have a really great trend for um, women's rights. And the ancient Middle East didn't really have much of a trend for women's rights either. So hopefully you can understand what a big deal that this is. Not only that the Lord would expose these women, but that he would lift them up as virtuous women. Yes, the Lord can love a Gentile. He can love a Gentile woman. He can love a Gentile woman prostitute. Did you know that he could love you? If you would just turn from your sin, admit that you need salvation, confess your sin before him, and commit yourself to follow him. He could turn the whole course of your life around. Not because you're virtuous, but because he is. And he's the kind of God who would save anyone from any level of life who would be willing to turn from their sin and to receive salvation through Yeshua. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. Interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy 23, verses 2 and 3, there's a proclamation that says that no Moabite may enter the assembly of Israel up to the 10th generation. And it was exactly 10 generations from when that was uh, declared that Ruth entered into the family of Israel. Interesting, isn't it? David begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Interestingly enough, the Lord still, and for all eternity, because his word endures forever, will remember Bathsheba as the wife of Uriah. There is some level of speculation and debate as to whether or not Bathsheba was a Gentile or whether she was a Jew. The reason is because it seems to be a pretty good pattern going here. Gentile woman, Gentile woman, Gentile woman, and now Bathsheba. We don't know. And so there is a debate because the Bible doesn't just say she's a Gentile. But what we do know is even if she's a Jewish woman, she married a what? A Hittite. So she's either a Gentile woman who was married to a Hittite, where the Bible also says that Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. He wasn't just a guy in the army. He was one of David's mighty men. As a matter of fact, we have this verse, 2 Samuel 11.3. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone says, Hey, is that not Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, or Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? When they said that to David, he's like, I don't know, who's Uriah? He's got to be one of my soldiers. But later you see the list of David's mighty men. There's two lists, and in one of the lists, at the very bottom, it says, and Uriah the Hittite. So it wasn't just that when they said, hey, yeah, that's the, isn't that the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? A guy you don't know? Boy, he's just a Hittite. Take his wife. No, it's just like some, I don't know who your best friend is, or maybe you got a group of 10 friends. It's like them saying, yeah, that's the wife of one of your 10 best friends. Or in David's case, 30 best friends. Hey, listen, she was the wife of a close friend whom was considered one of the men whom David could trust with his life. And that's who he went and he sent for. Who knows if she was a Gentile or not, but what we do know is this. You have woman who pretends to be a prostitute. You have prostitute. You have woman who was a Moabitess, who in their culture was one of the worst hated peoples. And now what you have is a woman who was married to a Hittite, who was willing to commit adultery in order to sleep with the king. Okay? Those are the women whom are in the line of the Messiah. It's not the kind of people that you would mention if you were telling your family story. You might actually jump over them and just get to the ones who did really important, significant things. And so therefore we realize that this genealogy is also telling us a story about the great grace of God. That nobody is so bad or despised that they cannot receive the grace of the Messiah. And at the same time, nobody is so good that they don't need it. We are all in need because we've all fallen short of the standard of the Lord. Okay, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, as the Bible says. David the king begat Solomon by her, who had been the wife of Uriah. 
Solomon begat Rehoboam, Rehoboam begat Abijah, Abijah begat Asa, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begat Joram, Joram begat Uzziah, Uzziah begat Jotham, Jotham begat Ahaz, Ahaz begat Hezekiah, Hezekiah begat Manasseh, and begot Amon, and Amon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time that they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Abiud. Abiud begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Echim, Echim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Matan, Matan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Yeshua, who was called the Messiah. You notice that when they get to Joseph, they don't say, and Joseph begat. And why don't they say that? Because Joseph didn't begat. He was just married to woman, Mary, through whom the Messiah came. As we're going to learn in just a moment, she was not pregnant because of any kind of sexual encounter. But what she had become was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You say, Steve, how did that work? I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. And there's a lot of things in the Bible that you're never going to know the mechanics of. How's a guy stay in the belly of a whale for 40 days? I don't know. Or three days. How does he stay in the belly of a whale for one day, for one hour? I don't know. But the, the Bible says it, and I believe it. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. A God who can split seas and who could raise people from the dead. And who could turn around a dark heart like mine and have him standing in front of people teaching them the Bible. Nobody who knew me 20 years ago would ever imagine that I would be a believer, much less be preaching. As a matter of fact, I have a friend of mine who later confessed to me when that she heard that I was a believer, she says, that's impossible. Because a few weeks prior to my coming to a saving knowledge of Yeshua, I was actually debating with a guy about how there's no way that any of it could be true. Which means that if you're here this morning and you're a skeptic, there's hope for you. Because everyone who believes in Yeshua at one point didn't and had to come to a point where they said, you know what, I'm turning from my sin and I am believing in him. And so therefore there's hope for you just like there was hope for us. He says in verse 17, So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Messiah are 14 generations. There comes a point when some wise guys show up. It's going to happen in Matthew chapter 2. And there's other accounts. Luke's got another account of it. Of these guys showing up, and they're asking questions. And the big question that they ask is, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? You know? It's like, uh, when you're following a star, it's, you know, a map would have been better. Because <laughs> you get to a point where you get to a region, and then you have to actually go door to door. Is the Messiah in here? Okay. It, have, you heard, have you heard of a Messiah being born in this block? Right? In Boston, they were looking for murderers just yesterday. And how were they doing it? Door to door. Now, can you imagine the wise men in the days of no technology, no GPS, no thermal imaging where they can look into a boathouse and see a guy hiding in a boat? And so these wise guys, these wise men are walking around and they're just asking simple questions. Where's the one? They go to the king because surely he knows. Surely they got to be happy that the one born king of the Jews is finally here. This guy can now take a break or a vacation, as it were. But that guy was not happy at all because he had killed to get his kingship. And he definitely wasn't going to let some baby come take it away for free. And so what does he do? He goes and inquires of the scholars. He says to them, is there supposed to be a king born like now? And what's interesting is that when Herod asked 33 years earlier, the scholars all agreed, absolutely, he's supposed to be born now. Where? Uh, we came back, we have all the intel. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. No question about it. Really? 
So if I go to Bethlehem and I kill all the babies that were born, then I can still be king? This is what he's thinking. 33 years later, they're saying to him, are you the Messiah or not? Tell us plainly. Where were those guys who were so confident that the Messiah is going to be born at this time and in this place? Micah 5.2. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. We're not there yet. Where did those guys 33 years later? Had they all died? Or could they just simply not accept the fact that Yeshua was standing right in front of them? They were so confident about it when it was a theory. But they were so skeptical about it when it was a fact. Now the birth of Yeshua the Messiah is as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, what does that mean? Before they had had any type of sexual relations. They were betrothed, but they weren't living together. It was just they were promised. They were engaged. But at the time, even betrothal is a little deeper than just engagement. But that they had not been together in that way. And I like the way that my Bible says it, and pretty much every Bible I've read has say it. She was found with child. Every time my wife was pregnant, it's now been four times. Every time she was pregnant, she was discovered to be with child by her friends before she told them. And you know women, and there's a lot of them in this room. I understand I'm not teaching a men's conference now. You know women just have a way. Well, that's kind of weird. Darlene uh, ordered decaf. (laughs) She never orders decaf. Hmm, that's kind of weird. She said, no, no Splenda. She just wants real sugar. Hmm, that's kind of weird. Hmm. And they get it. I don't know how many trips to the bathroom it takes, but they come out and they're like, you're pregnant. <laughs> and women take such pride in it too, don't they? Don't you? I was the one who figured it out. I can tell by the way you're carrying that baby, it's going to be a boy. Right? And you're proud of that one too. Well, is he a 50 shot, 50 50 shot? If it comes out a girl, you never talk about it again. If it comes out a boy, and it's like, hey, I thought I was the one. I've got the gift. Felt a tingling, and I knew. It's got to be hard when you're discovered to be with child. I mean, that's got to be a hard one to convince to your mom and your dad. It's got to be a hard one to convince to Joseph and to the community. And I've had my kids give me a myriad of excuses for things. And I think pregnant by the Holy Spirit would have to be one that would enrage me. Because not only did it deny what is an obvious action, but now you're saying it in a blasphemous way. You're blaspheming the Lord by saying, God got me pregnant. That's a serious offense. It says, and his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Luke one thirty-five says this, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So now what do we have? We have Yeshua, the Messiah, who is the Son of David. That makes sense. There's going to be a guy, and he's going to be just like David, and he's going to be like the shepherd who's going to gather the lost sheep of Israel. He's the son of Abraham. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, he's, he's going to be a guy, like Abraham was a guy, and by faith he'll believe, and it'll be counted to him as righteousness. Those ideas of the Messiah are easy to accept. This one is hard. The angel says, listen, before this happens, I'm telling you what's going to happen to you. And know this, the only encouragement that you can have is to know that the one who is inside of you is the Son of God. John 8, 19 says this. And they said to him, Yeshua, when he was grown, where is your father? This is going to plague him 
throughout his time on earth. And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. He's preaching in Nazareth. And they're astounded by the things that he says. And what do they say? Who is this guy? Who is this? Isn't his mom and his dad? And yet, that's his hometown. They'd heard the stories coming out of the house of Joseph and Mary. And yet they had rejected it. And they're wanting to give glory to the one who has taught him. They're wanting to give glory to the one who has raised him. And who is his father? But at the same time, it's a rejection of his deity. He says, you don't know me or my father. You know, something else that Yeshua said was this. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the father, but through me. Listen, folks, there's only one way out. And that's Yeshua. And you don't know the father unless you know the son. And that's a hard thing for a lot of Christians to receive. For a lot of believers to receive, because we still have friends and family members who maybe display an incredibly orthodox Jewish life. And we say, man, their devotion is way bigger than mine. And it's hard for me to say they don't have that relationship with the Father. Well, I'm glad we don't have to say it. Yeshua said it himself. Once again, salvation is by grace through faith and not by our righteous acts. So you can pray more than me. You can give more money than me. You can dress more conservatively than me. You can speak more words in Hebrew than me. You can know a prayer for every potential situation that you can get in in life, and I might not know them. But if you don't know the Son, you don't know the Father. Because the Son is the Father in this sense. And we're going to get to it in just a moment. It's true that I believe in the triunity of God, that there are three in one. I believe in the Ruach, I believe in the Spirit, I believe in the Son, the Moshiach, the Messiah, and I believe in Adonai, I believe in God the Father. So I'm not saying some kind of a oneness theology, which I don't receive. But they independently are are three, but at the same time they are one. It's a mystery, and yet it's a reality. He says this, Then Joseph, being her husband, verse 19, and being a just man, your Bible may say a righteous man, which I like better, because the idea is that he's a sadiq. A sadiq is the Hebrew word for what? For righteous. The sadikim, where we get the word Sadducees. The sadikim are the righteous ones, the ones who, who control temple worship in Jerusalem. I'm not saying that they're saying that Joseph was a Sadikim, was a Sadducee, but what I'm saying is, is that he was a righteous man. He's a guy that if you looked at his life, there would be nothing wrong with his life. When I think of the Sadikim, I, I think of the Kotel in Jerusalem, the Western Wall, and you see all of those men, and they all look so devoted and so righteous. They have the Talit, and they have the suits, and they all, it's just so dignified. And when I think of Joseph, I think of, of, of a Sadiq. Why? Because the Bible says that Joseph was a sadiq. He was a righteous man. It means more than just he was just a good old boy. Because we think Carpenter, he's just a good old boy. Could have been on Duck Dynasty for all we know. You know what I'm saying? Good old boy. It doesn't mean that. It means that he had a level of spiritual acumen which was beyond reproach. The perfect guy to raise the little Messiah. Take him to Jerusalem on the Shalosh Regalim, the three times on foot that men had to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Teach him the prayers. Teach him to read the word. Teach him all of these things. Don't think he just taught him how to nail and hammer or chisel a rock. He was a Sadiq. He was the guy. His job, when you look at the genealogy of all of these people, his job was in many ways more important than anybody else. And yet Joseph is about to consider himself cursed. He says he was a just man, not wanting to make her a public example. I would say partly for her well-being and partly for his reputation. Because you know how it is. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation. It takes a moment to tear it down. And after all, he was a sadiq. 
And he wants to do the right thing. And he was minded to put her away, which means that in his mind, he thought, I'm going to put her away. Do you remember right after Israel crosses the Jordan River? Remember this? They cross the Jordan River and, um, and they go in and there's a massive defeat of Jericho. But then right after that, they go, you know what? We've got to take care of Ai. It's a lot smaller than Jericho. So let's just send some guys. And they didn't seek the Lord and they suffered a defeat there. So sometimes as believers, we can think to ourselves, you know, I would seek the Lord on this, but this is a no-brainer, so I got this one. And in his mind, he had minded, this is the way we're going to handle this. And obviously, he hadn't sought the Lord on it, because as he had made up his mind, yeah, this is the best thing to do. I'm going to put her away quietly. She can go down, hang out with Elizabeth down there. She can do the rest of her life. Nobody knows her there. She can just go on. Nobody knows me there. This is a good thing. It's, it's hard. I'm sorry for Mary. I don't know really how she got into this. And I'd like to believe her, but that's a little unbelievable, isn't it? So this is the best thing to do. We're just going to deal with this privately. And then we're all going to move on with our lives, having sort of a dark little secret. Hey, listen, we can apply that to many areas of life. I've seen Christian fathers and mothers dealing with girls who show up pregnant and say, you know what? I know I don't believe in this and this is a horrible thing, but the truth is is that her bright future has now been d- diminished. And you know what? We need to do something about this baby. And we can rationalize all kinds of evil in our lives. Any of us could. As we say, people are like tea bags. You never know what's on the inside till you put them in hot water. And even the most righteous people in hot water can make decisions without seeking the Lord that seem righteous and yet would be exactly the wrong thing. Joseph, her husband, being a just man, being a sadiq, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Not the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, what is the first thing that he reminds him of? You, you, you are in the messianic line. You have nobility. And I'm about to tell you about a level of nobility that you never would have perceived, but that the Lord has considered you worthy of. He appears to him in a dream and he says, Joseph, son of David. First, he restores his nobility. Do not be afraid. Then he restores his courage. To take to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Yeshua. For he will save his people from their sins. We're going to skip the next two verses, and we're going to go straight to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If you're Messianic, it's a familiar scripture for you. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. This is how wise men can show up and they can ask Herod, hey, where's the one born the king of the Jews? And they go back and what do they find? Yeah, he should be born about now if we start counting these generations, right? This is the time when something major should happen. And if you say the king of Israel has been born, well, this would be the time when it should be. And this is the place where it should be. But listen to the second half of that. Whose goings forth are of old from everlasting, or as it's more accurately uh, translated, from eternity past. So when the Messiah is born as a baby, it's not like a regular human birth, where a guy and a girl get together and they have a baby, and we have a moment of conception. And then nine and a half months later, or whenever the oven's done and the timer goes off, all of a sudden the baby comes out, and the baby comes out, and we say, okay, well that baby was born on this day didn't exist until egg and you know how it works. But Yeshua has existed forever. And there was a time appointed by the Lord where this is the time for him to come and to come as a person. If you don't believe in the deity of the Messiah, then I would say you're not a believer. You may believe in an idea about Jesus or Yeshua, But if you don't believe in the deity of the Messiah, then you're not a believer because that's who he is. You say, how can you say that? I don't know. The Mormons are the church of what was that? 
Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, just because you use the name and just because you may call upon the name, Yeshua says, in the last days there will be many who come to me and they say what? Lord, Lord. You call me Lord, but you don't recognize me as that. Because if you did, I would know you. And I don't know you. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet shall come out of you, one shall come forth to me, one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are of old from everlasting. He's not like any baby you've ever seen. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. What was that next one? Mighty God. What's the next one? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Which is that he's an eternal Savior. Upon the throne of who? Of David. And over his kingdom, in order to establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I like Luke chapter 20, verses 41 and 44. And he said to them, how can they say that the Messiah is the son of David? And now David himself said in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make the enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How then is he his son? Because David understood even before Micah wrote Micah 5, 2. David even understood the idea that when the Messiah comes, that he will be God made flesh. And she shall bring forth the son and you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the word through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. It's not like, man, I hope God's with us right now. Right? I hope God is going before. We can't see him. We can't touch him. No, God's with us. Standing next to Jesus? No, Jesus. Literally, God made flesh. Not just God's on our side, but God is literally with us and standing here with us and among us. Here's what I like. Second Chronicles. 618, but God indeed will indeed dwell with men, I'm sorry, but will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. That's Solomon when he's dedicating the temple. But he brings forth the great question, hey, really can a temple contain the Lord? No. But the Lord has already ordained that he will, in the time which he has chosen, come and be born as a baby. But know this, that his origin was not 2,000 years ago, but his origin is where? His eternity past. I like Zechariah 8.23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that what? That God is with you. I believe that there is a revival which is going to jump up from the Jewish community. And when it happened, we're going to be so rejoicing when that actually happens. And the, Jew, and the Gentile community says, man, I got to grab the coat of a Jewish person. Because they finally understand that Emmanuel, God with us, is the Messiah. And that the Gentiles and the nations will pursue Jewish people because we heard that God is with you. <laughs> Let it be so, Lord. And then we have Daniel 2.11. It is a difficult thing that the, thing that the king requests. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Do you know who said that? The magicians. The magicians. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, he says, hey, can you answer these dreams for us? And they said, no, we can't answer these dreams. What are we? God would have to dwell with us in the flesh in order for that to happen. Hey, guess what? That has happened. And then I like this. God is with us. But not only is he with us, but he has promised to be in us. He says, then... 
Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took to him his wife. He understood the nobility of his calling. And it wasn't, you know, I'm working on this reputation. And it wasn't that someday I'm going to be a muckety-muck guy in Jerusalem because my righteousness is going to precede me. And everybody's going to know who I am. God says, no, I'm going to establish you, but I'm going to use exactly the opposite. It's almost like Jeremiah 45. And if you haven't read it before, you should go back and read it. Jeremiah 45. It's, it's God's message to Baruch. Baruch means what? Blessed. Baruch is the name of Jeremiah's scribe. Jeremiah was kicked out of Jerusalem and he wasn't allowed to preach in Jerusalem anymore. But the Lord still was giving him revelation. And so he says, hey, Baruch, listen, they've kicked me out. I need you to go deliver this message for me. Doesn't feel very blessed. And yet when the God of all creation chooses you in order to use you, you are greatly blessed. And what does he say to Baruch? Listen, you seek a name for yourself. Don't do it. Jeremiah 45. It's just like five verses long. But it's so poignant for us. You seek a name for yourself. Don't do it. Okay? Because everything you see here is going to be brought down. But if you trust me and you do what I tell you to do, everywhere you go, which means, yeah, you're going to get driven out of here like everybody else. But everywhere you go, you'll get out with your life. And I feel like even now the Lord is saying, you seek a name for yourself, especially here in Orange County. You speak a name for yourself, don't do it. Because everything that you see here is going to be brought low. And I think there's still a few more reckonings for the United States. And I hope that we're a Josiah generation that turns from our sin when we hear the word of the Lord. And we're not a Zedekiah generation right before Babylon came in who takes the word of the Lord and with a scribe's knife cuts it out word by word and line by line and throws it into the fire. Who are you going to be? God is not just with us, but he's promised to be in us. I love Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. We've already established that. By grace, you can be saved when you put your faith and your trust in Yeshua and him alone for your salvation. Ephesians three fourteen through 19 says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord, the Messiah, Yeshua, for whom, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might through his spirit in the inner man, that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints or that is with all those who are saved, with uh, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of the Messiah which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And then, of course, Ezekiel eleven nineteen and 20 says this, And then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, that they shall be my people and I will be their God. Are you Jewish in this room and you say, you know what, I don't know that I really feel like I have a personal relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it may very well be that it's because you've never put your faith in Yeshua and Him alone for your salvation. To come to a moment in your life where you say, I believe. You don't have to have it all down, but you have to know this, that Yeshua is the Messiah. He's the one who has come, his origins from everlasting, and yet has come into this earth. And then he did a bunch of amazing things that we're going to continue to read about, even starting tomorrow. But the most amazing thing that he did is he bore our iniquities, and he rose from the grave, and he's alive today. And he's saying, listen, I may be in your rearview mirror and I may be pursuing you, but right now I'm not pursuing you to harm you. I'm pursuing you so that you will turn from your sin and you will turn to me. These arms that are outstretched are not outstretched in order to do you damage now. These arms that are outstretched are outstretched in order to embrace you and to bring you in and call you back to a right relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through Yeshua, the son, son of Abraham. Son of David, Son of God. 
And you might say, you know what? I get it. I totally get it. And I'm ready to live my life for him. Listen, if that's you and you're in this room right now, and you say, listen, I've never made, I've, I've never made a commitment, a public commitment in order to follow the Lord. You know, everyone that Yeshua called, he calls openly and publicly. And I would like to lead you in a prayer that you could officially say, Lord, today I turn from my sin and I'm turning to you. Did you know that every journey begins with a starting line? Every journey of faith begins with a first step. And if you're here and you're in this room, whether you're Jew or whether you're a Gentile, and you say, you know what, I'm ready to put my faith and my trust in Yeshua. If that's you, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand wherever you are, and I want to lead you in a prayer, right where you are. You say, why would you do that? Can't I just sit here and not, nobody knows? Well, like I said, everyone whom Yeshua called, he always called openly and publicly. Why? Because if you wouldn't make a stand for Yeshua in a room full of people who love Yeshua and who love you, how in the world do you think you're ever going to make a stand for Yeshua out there in the world where there may not be any believers around at all? So as an opportunity to you, we give you this opportunity to make it public here in a room full of people that love you. So if you're here this morning, I'm not going to play a special song. But you're here and you say, you know what? The Lord has been tugging on my heart. And now I know this is the time right now that I need to make it real. If that's you then wherever you are right now, stand up.